You are listening to audio from Citizens Church Elmira. You can find more resources and learn more about our church at citizensalmira.ca. This week we're just taking uh, one week to think about prayer, and then for those of you who are regulars here, next week we'll be starting into the first part of Genesis. So we're going to do Genesis over the next few years, actually, because it's a big book. So we're going to just work through the first 11 chapters uh, in January and February. So just a little heads up on that. Um, I'm not a big baseball fan, um, but I do actually remember this story that I saw this week, which was uh, about Cal Ripken Jr. I don't know if you've ever heard of Cal Ripken Jr., Um, pretty famous baseball player. And um, on September 6th, 1995, he was playing. It was just kind of an average game. Uh, The team he was playing for, they won 4-2. to Um, But at the end of the game, there was a 22-minute standing ovation for Cal Ripken. Um, And that was because he uh, broke Lou Gehrig's record of games in a row played. So he played 2,131 games without missing a single game for illness or injury or anything. And what's interesting about that is that the crowd was not cheering about uh, the best home run The crowd wasn't cheering about some sort of athletic time that was, you know, beat or something. What the crowd was cheering for was endurance. The fact that Cal Ripken could do this game in and game out for 2,000 plus games. Like, that is impressive. They were talking and cheering and standing ovation for Cal Ripken's endurance. And the Christian life is actually framed in similar language. The Apostle Paul says it is like a race that we are running. To be able to endure to the end, to, to follow God um, to the end of today, to follow God to the end of uh, 2023, or to the end of our lives. This is what the scriptures talk about when they talk about uh, endurance, following Christ to the end. And part of our ability to endure as believers is to actually um, remind ourselves of God's story and to regularly put into practice what um, you may know. There's like a lot of different ways to to talk about this, um, I was writing down a bunch of them. There's some people call it spiritual disciplines, some people call it habits of grace, or maybe they call it a rule of life, or maybe you just call it your discipleship with Jesus. Putting into practice just a few basic things. And when we were in Ephesians, some of you would remember this, we talked about some basic habits of the Christian life. So things like Sabbath, prayer, Scripture, the community of God's people, generosity and witness, these are, these are things that all of us as believers um, need to put into practice so that the life of Christ grows in our hearts and in our minds so that we're able to actually endure. 
in the scriptures, it actually talks about our spiritual lives like food. It's, it, that's how it kind of compares it. And probably most of us have been eating like a lot of junk food, you know, like a lot of chocolate, um, chips and dip, or I don't know what was on your menu, you know, all kinds of good things. So we, we understand the principle in life that you need food to survive. If you don't eat food, you're slowly going to wither away and it could lead to the end of your life. In the scriptures, our spiritual lives are framed in the same way. We, we have to spiritually feed ourselves if we are going to actually live in the type of life that Christ has for us. So one of the principles to note is that God does not force feed us. God's not going to come along um, and stick a bottle in your mouth and make you eat his spiritual food. He is going to lay it before you. And so this morning when we talk about prayer, and we're going to get to it in a minute, prayer and any of these other spiritual disciplines must begin with a hunger for God. A hunger for God. In John chapter 6, Jesus uh, does this miracle where he feeds 5,000 people, it says, with bread and fish. And there's this like, miraculous thing that happens. And the people are very excited about this. I mean, wouldn't you be? Someone can make bread multiply. That's good news. And so everybody is getting close, and they're like, we want more of this. And Jesus knows, obviously, that they are after this physical bread. And he says, what you really need, actually, is a bread that is not physical bread. You need a different kind of bread. And in their minds, the crowd is still thinking, okay, this is like a, a superfood or something. You know, this is like an amazing kind of bread. There's a different kind of bread that Jesus can multiply. We're down with that. We'll take that as well, Jesus. We took the regular bread. We'll take this super bread. But then Jesus says, no, 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 no. You're still not getting it. What you're actually longing for, what you actually desire, is spiritual bread. There is a spiritual hunger that can only be satisfied by Jesus himself. And so Jesus says in John 6.34, he says, I am the bread of life. Don't confuse the things of this world, this kind of earthly food, with the spiritual food that you need, which is found in Jesus Christ. So when we come to our text here this morning, and if you have a Bible, if you haven't turned there already, um, turn to Luke chapter 11, or if you have your phone. When we come to this passage on prayer, it actually begins with hunger. It begins with a desire. Look at verse 1. It says, Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. One of the disciples saw what Jesus was doing, and there was within him a spiritual hunger to grow, to increase his prayer life. Thomas Merton says this, Prayer is an expression of who we are. We are a living incompleteness. We are a gap, 
an emptiness that calls for fulfillment. We are all lacking in some way. And so when we come to prayer, um, I want to frame our thinking here to come to prayer actually in a state of weakness and dependence. Because when you come to a a message on prayer or you come to Scripture, um, the temptation is to think, okay, I need to actually be really good at this. And especially those of us who are, you know, um, well, most of us are all Canadian here, okay? We're all like from Western countries. Uh, we are production mindset. We, we are high skill mindset. So the, the best people should be doing the best jobs. So when it comes to prayer here, the best of us should be doing it. Those of us who have it all together. And so we often wait when it comes to prayer or even other spiritual disciplines. We wait for like everything to be just right. You know, once, once I got more time, once, uh, you know, the busyness of the holiday season is over, once the kids are back in school, once the kids are, you know, like graduated from high school, once the grand, I don't know, like just go down the list. Once all the circumstances are just right, then I'll have a life of prayer. But what we see in Scripture is actually we come to prayer in weakness. We come to God to grow close to him with a lack, with a deficit. We come needing something because we don't have it all together ourselves. Edith Schaefer, who was uh, Francis Schaefer's wife, uh, a well-known theologian from the 60s and the 70s, she was giving an interview once, and the interviewer asked her, who is the greatest Christian woman alive today? Who's the greatest Christian woman alive today? And here's what she said. We don't know her name. She's dying of cancer somewhere in a hospital in India. And the person who was asking this question, the interviewer was like, what does that mean? And Edith went on to say, she can feel her restless heart, her tendency to compare herself with others. She is shocked at how jealousy can well up within her. Her heart cries out to God in prayer because she needs Jesus. Edith is saying, This is actually the the starting point. This is the foundation for knowing God. And when we come to the the topic of prayer, it's not high skill. It's not perfect like following Jesus. I kind of got all my ducks in a row. It's actually a foundation of weakness, need, and hunger for God. So when we come to the text here in Luke 11, we see that Jesus is modeling prayer for them. And so one of the the beautiful things about the Gospels is we can look at Jesus' life and we can study it and learn from it and we can follow it. So when we come to the text here this morning, I want to highlight four aspects of prayer that are characteristic of Jesus' prayer life. Okay, so we're going to Look at the scriptures, coming at it from a position of weakness. But now we come to the scriptures and we see, how did Jesus practice prayer himself? The first way is this. 
Jesus' prayer is simple. Jesus' prayer is simple. In Matthew's gospel, the Lord's prayer is 57 Greek words. In Luke's gospel here, it's only 38 Greek words. It's very short. This isn't, this isn't, there's nothing long about it. There's no long-winded prayer going on here. It's very simple. It's very straight to the point. The, the Lord's prayer is a guide for us. Many of us have memorized it. We've memorized it maybe as kids or, you know, it's short and sweet enough that we could just take it in. But essentially, the Lord's prayer is a guide to help us pray and pray about things that maybe we would not naturally pray for ourselves. So here in the, this short prayer, we are given, in essence, a crutch. I don't know if you've ever, ever broken a leg before. Um, I haven't, but I've, I've seen people who have broken a leg and they get crutches. You know, you hobble around with them and Crutches are actually very helpful because they help you heal your leg. You're not putting weight on it. They are helpful to get you around. The Lord's Prayer, in some senses, is a crutch for us. God knows that we are weak when it comes to prayer. God knows that we don't stay concentrating or, you know, on one topic very easily. And so the Lord's Prayer is this gift to us of a prayer that helps us focus on the, the very things that God would have us think about in our prayer life. And so the Psalms have prayers and the epistles have prayers, but this prayer is simple, straight to the point, and gets us praying about things that we would not normally pray about. So look, just a couple of examples. We're not going to go through the whole Lord's Prayer here this morning. We're just, I just want to point out a couple of things First, in verse 2 there, it says, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. So the starting point of this prayer, actually, is not um, a list of things that you're hoping that God can do in your life. That's often where I start. You know, it's like, God, I need this. God, I need that. It's, it's usually, even though I, I know this, it's usually just, the first thing that is on my mind is how God can, you know, intervene in my life and do something. But here Jesus says the Lord's Prayer actually starts at a different place. It says, pray to God about who God is first. Acknowledge God and all of his greatness, all of his wonder, all the things that make God unique and so not like us. That is what we are to pray to God, to get first in our minds who he, who he is. But second then, it says also in verse 2, pray, hallowed be your name, but then also your kingdom come. So the prayer starts in a totally different place than many of us would go to. Pray firstly for God and acknowledging who he is, but then secondly, that God would have his way. Not that my plans would be primary, but that God and what he is doing would be the primary thing that is done around me. So the, the prayer itself is extremely simple, but it's a guide that gets us praying about things that we would not normally pray about. We would tend to go right to the daily bread. You know, we were asking for things, but 
the Lord's Prayer says, start with God. Start with God. And start with God's will in your life. So, Jesus' prayer is simple. Second, Jesus' prayer is regular. That was about the best word I could come up with, okay? It's like Jesus' prayer is habitual. It is constant in his life. So in verse 1, it says there, Now Jesus was praying in a certain place. Jesus is over and over and over again praying. It's, it's Essentially, it's a part of his existence on this planet here. You can look through the Gospels and you can see Jesus is praying before he goes into ministry. He's praying during his ministry. He's praying for people in his ministry. He's even praying when he's on the cross. When everything is looking like the worst case scenario, it's in that very moment that Jesus is praying. It is a regular part of his life. And if we go even further into the epistles and into Paul's own testimony, I I didn't include these in the slide here, but the Apostle Paul writes this in Ephesians 1.16, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. In Philippians 1 verse 3, he says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy. In 2 Timothy 1, he says, I thank God whom I serve as did my ancestors with a clear conscience as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. And then in Philemon 1 verse 4, he says, I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers. Jesus and the Apostle Paul made prayer a regular part of their lives. It was just constantly present in whatever they were doing. They were dependent on God the Father for any of the work that was going to be done, but they were regularly practicing prayer. So forming a habit in your life takes time, practice, energy. There's a well-known... I don't know if you call it like a, uh, a dealer of cards. Is that, what do you call that? You know, someone who shuffles cards. Um, his name is Richard Turner. You should look this guy up. He is, he's a blind man who has mastered card dealing and shuffling. He is just amazing. But this is how he mastered it. This is from his own testimony. He practiced card shuffling for 10 to 20 hours a day. Okay, he went to bed with a, with a deck of cards, Okay seven days a week for 26 years straight. 10 to, 12, 10 to 20 hours a day, seven days a week for 26 years straight. You can say he's pretty good at shuffling cards, okay? He knows what he's doing with the cards, okay? But all Richard is proving is what most of us know. If you want to get good at anything in life, if you want to make something a regular routine, you have to do it regularly, It has to become a part of your regular existence in life. So the goal with uh, the Lord's Prayer is not that you would master prayer, but that prayer would become a part of your life. And for prayer to become a part of your life, it has to regularly find its way into the routine of what is your life. Now, it might not be uh, 10 to 20 hours a day. You'd have to be a monk living in a monastery somewhere, okay? But to regularly inject prayer into your life, 
is a simple act of hunger, desire, and practice. Any one of us can bring prayer into our lives and begin to experience a new depth of spiritual connection to God our Father. And so Jesus here shows us that prayer is very simple, especially this Lord's Prayer, and that prayer is a regular part of his life. Number three, Jesus' prayer is real. It is real. So in verse five, it says this, And he said to them, Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. So for the disciples to understand this prayer, and for us even today, Jesus uh, tells a story here. So he gives them the prayer. He gives them the simple prayer. He shows them this regular habit that's a part of his life. And now he says, here's what this prayer is, and he tells a story. He tells a story that would be very familiar to the ancient Near East and still familiar to many parts around the world where, you know, at nighttime, you, like a house is for very few things. A house is like to sleep in and to be safe from thieves that are out in, in the neighborhoods around you. So at nighttime in this first century, they're going into the house, they're locking everything up, the day is done, and they're going to sleep. But now here in the story that Jesus tells, a friend has come and another practice that is needed is to feed and to, you know, give this person nourishment. And so this person that has finished the day has no more bread. So they go to their friend and say, friend, boom, 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 I need some bread so that I can give some bread and nourish my guest who has come. Jesus is trying to help the disciples and us understand, like, what is behind this prayer that God is giving to us? What is it actually that God wants to bring into our lives? How do we grow spiritually? And here he's saying, your prayers are to be real. The very real things that have entered into your lives. The very basic things that, that you and I think about. In this context, it's bread for a friend that is coming. So simple. So there is no prayer that is too small or too great for that matter for us to be able to pray to God. Prayer is meant to be a very real thing. And sometimes we can um, have this mindset that prayer needs to sound great. It's got to be like flowery. It's got to be, you know, basically like a little speech that I'm giving. And Jesus is saying prayer is real. Prayer is a conversation with God where you express to him the very needs that you have. In Acts chapter 1, there's an example after uh, Judas has committed suicide and is no longer one of the disciples. The early church is coming together and they need wisdom on who's the next person that's going to take his spot. And so in Acts chapter 1, verse 23, it says this, And they put forward two names, two people, Joseph called Barsabbas, who was also called Justice, and Matthias, verse 24. And they prayed and said, You, Lord, know the hearts of all. Show which one of these two you have chosen. 
So here they are. This is simple, man. They got two guys here. One guy who's got a really complicated name, and they got Matthias. And they're both quality people. All they need is some practical wisdom from the Lord. And so what do they do? They pray. They say, God, this is like a need that we have. We need some wisdom in this situation. Both these guys are really good. Would you direct us? And so they pray a very real, practical prayer to God. And that's what prayer is meant to be. Very real and practical. The things that are touching your life are the things that we pray to God. So that God can work in and through our lives. It is a, a practicing of dependence on God. Paul Miller says this, When Jesus tells us to become like little children, he isn't telling us to do anything he isn't already doing. Jesus is, without question, the most dependent human being who ever lived. Jesus is put into practice his own dependence on God in his life and in his ministry. And now here he's saying, in your prayer, in your prayer life, practice real dependence on God through a life of prayer. Through a life of prayer. So, Jesus says, prayer is simple, it's regular, and it's real. And lastly here, number four, Jesus' prayer is personal. In verse 11, Jesus goes on, he gives one more kind of amplification, one more little story here. And Jesus says this, What father among you If his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Now this is really important here, that Jesus' prayer is personal. This is the foundation that you want to stand on as a believer. Otherwise, prayer becomes a show. It becomes a work that you do to kind of get something or even to manipulate God. But when we realize that prayer is founded on our personal relationship with God, then it becomes a conversation that we have with him. It becomes a conversation that we have in security, in the context of a loving relationship. Paul Miller again says this, Jesus' example teaches us that prayer is about relationship. When he prays, he is not performing a duty. He is getting close to his Father. That's what prayer is. This weekend um, had something happen in my life that hasn't happened before. Our oldest daughter, moved out of the house. So we're in that stage of life. She moved out, okay? And, um, but this time, like, she totally moved out. Like, I remember when she, you know, went to uh, school, you know, she would go to elementary school, they go to school, they come back, and then she went to high school, went go to high school and come back, and then she went to university, you know, moved out there, moved her into all the dormitories and all that stuff, but she still, like, had her bedroom, and all of her stuff was there, and she would still come back. This time... 
the room is empty. You know, it's, everything is gonzo, okay? And she has moved on to another place. Um, but there's something that can never change. And that's the fact that she's still a part of our family. She's still uh, our daughter. She is still welcomed and she is still loved in the context of that household. Now, I, as a human father, could do something, sever the relationship, do uh, something that would hurt what's between us, and it could be broken apart. And maybe that's your experience with family or with your father. But what Jesus is trying to get us to think about here when it comes to prayer is that our relationship with God is personal, and he is committed to us like a father who is perfect, infinitely perfect. So the, the relationship of a human father can be broken. The relationship that we have with God our Father, because of Christ's work on the cross for us, because of what Jesus did for us, we can stand before God now as part of his family. There is nothing between us. Our sin, any shame, any brokenness is covered by Christ. So Jesus says here, when it comes to prayer, when you speak to God, you speak to him like a father who is perfectly loving and who welcomes you into his presence. Psalm 73 verse 28 is great in any translation, but the message puts it just clearer. It says this, But I'm in the very presence of God. Oh, how refreshing it is. I've made Lord God my home. When it comes to our relationship with God, and when it comes to our prayer life, it is simple, it should be regular, it should be real, and it should be personal. We are in God's family, and so we speak to him as our father. C.S. Lewis said this, Christianity, if false, is of no importance. So if Christianity is not real, don't worry about praying, don't worry about the Bible, don't worry about coming to church, it's, it's just, it's a fiction. And if it is true, he goes on to say, if it is true of infinite importance, then the only thing it cannot be is moderately important. So if it is true, and you've found Jesus to be true in your life, and I've found Jesus to be true and the evidence even for, for Christ and his death, burial, and resurrection is there. If it's true, then really there's no kind of middle road here that we can stand on. We should be committed to following him. So in our lives of prayer and in our spiritual disciplines, as we head into 2024, another new year, man, may God give us a sense and a clarity of who he is and how we belong in relationship with him as his children. So that we walk forward in 2024, trusting more in his work and practicing our own weakness when it comes to prayer and scripture and the disciplines of faith. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for 
the gift of the Lord's Prayer. Thank you, Lord, for simplicity and for the fact that we can uh, connect with you and speak to you. God, thank you for answering our prayers. Thank you for another year of answered prayers here at our church and in our congregation. Lord, you are mighty, you are worthy, you are eternal. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.